BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, it was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, a combination of overcrowded prisons and the pandemic has led California to release more people living behind bars, with 2020 seeing the state's biggest one-year release ever. My plan for the future now is just to be part of society, do, do what I can do to, to help others that might need help. I've always said that's all I wanted to do, is just be that next door old lady that lives next door that she's real nice, you know, that's, that's who I want to be. A new project looks at what the formerly incarcerated now face as they enter a deeply changed California. We meet one of the people profiled and the project's creators. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Traviel Pope describes his life after being released from prison this way. I basically went from living in a fishbowl, which is the prison yard, to swimming in a whole ocean. Pope's release into a profoundly changed society after serving 26 years of a life sentence in a California prison is part of a new project called Facing Life. And Traviel Pope is a minister at God's Place of Worship and joins me now. Traviel, welcome to Forum. Thanks so much for being here. Oh, thank you for having me. So how old were you when you were incarcerated? And, and how old were you when you were released? I was 18 years old when I was in, uh, arrested. And I was 44 years old when I was released. Wow. So you really had to learn sort of everything since you've been out, which was in 2018, right? Yeah, I was released May 18th of 2018. And yeah, uh, I basically have been, I'm still learning. It's like I'm, I'm learning on the fly. One of the things you've said that you've had to learn, which I was so struck by, was you said you've had to learn to control your normal face. What does that mean? Well, a lot of times when being incarcerated, um, we live a life, you know, I call it a facade, that, you know, we want to put on this image where we're this tough um 
take no nonsense type individual so that, you know, prison is full of predators so that the predators doesn't try to prey on you. So you have a demeanor about, you create a demeanor about yourself. And um, I don't know, I, had a, I have a real stern, um, aggressive look, you know? So if someone come, I put that look on and they know, okay, he he's not playing no games. So let's, you know, come correct or don't come at all. What do you do to try to control that? Like, do you say something to yourself or remind yourself of something? Um, if I'm conscious of it, um, which normally I'm not because it just became such a habit. Yeah. But if I'm, with, if I'm with my wife or, you know, my wife would be like, babe, straighten up your face. And so what I'll try to... What I try to do is I'll try to smile more. I try to smile more um, when I'm when I'm in the crowd. I'll speak more to people, you know. And that way, you know, it, it makes me conscious to 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 have more of a friendly look than that angry, aggressive black man look. Mm, plus, you're dealing with all the systemic factors that are contributing to all that all at once. Um, you do tell this story, Traviel, about the DMV, about your experience there, and the frustration both you and DMV employee felt at one point when you were struggling to fill out forms. Why does that moment stand out to you? Um, it was the first time that I was. I told someone, you know, that I, I you know, I don't know, I don't know what I'm doing. You know, being a prideful individual, you never, you never really want to just say, "Oh, I don't know." And um, at that moment, I did not know what I was doing. I was frustrated because I was going back and forth between the DMV and Social Security, trying to get my, you know, get all my paperwork in order. And one was telling me I had to have the other, so I'm going back and forth. And on this particular day, I had been at the DMV all day long, <laughs> and and. You know, I, it's frustrating because yeah. I don't know what I'm doing. So when I got finally made it up to the to the to the counter, you know, me and the lady were kind of going back and forth. And and you know, before I knew it, because it was about to be a volatile situation, I told her, I said, "Look, ma'am, I'm sorry, but I don't know what I'm doing." I said, "Ma'am, I I've been incarcerated since I was 18 years of age. I've never filled out these forms. I don't know how to fill out these forms. Will you please help me?" And in that moment, that was the first person that I have ever told in this social setting that I'm recently released from prison, you know, and and um, so when I told her that she kind of like took a deep breath and she said, oh, baby, I'm so sorry. And she said, welcome home. And, and she mm -hmm. took her time, you know, to help me. And what that signified to me was that, you know, there are people out here in society that you know, or is willing to help me. I'm not just somebody walking around with a scarlet letter, you know, a scarlet P on me saying prisoner, prisoner, prisoner. But she was willing, she was willing to help. So that helped me to, to be willing to open up to people, to let them know my plight in order to get help. We're talking with Travial Pope, Minister of God's Place of Worship and featured in the series Facing Life. I heard that one of the things you really like doing after that visit to the TMP is, is driving around. Why do you like driving so much? Well, uh, pre-incarceration, I never had a car. 
I never had a driver's license. I think I might have had an ID when I was very young. My mom had opened up a bank account, you know, when we were very young. But driving, you know, that was like first for me to be able to drive legally once I obtained my uh, my driver's license. And, you know, I had not previous my experience with a car. I had I was in prison after maybe 20 years. I had to go outside to an outside hospital to get some tests done. And when I was getting the test done, I got car sick, you know, in the van. You know, I felt like I wanted to throw up because I hadn't been in the vehicle in so long. And so now that I'm free and I just have the the freedom to get in my car and drive, I take advantage of it whenever I can. I, I love to drive because I'm free to do it. You know, it's still it's still new to me. The, you know, the Southern California traffic, it doesn't bother me or anything. It's all new I, and, I, and I just enjoy it. Gosh, thinking about how young you were, that you hadn't driven a car before, didn't have your license before that time. I'm thinking about today. Today is the 30th anniversary of the beginning of the LA riots. And I'm guessing that this can be a really hard day for you, Travio. Well, I try, I try to put it in the back of my mind because I don't want to be defined um, by my past. Yeah. You know, and um, so I'm not going to define myself by my past. You know, that was that was a bad moment at a bad time, and it was bittersweet. It was it was bitter because someone lost their life at my hands, but it was sweet because it put me on a road to rehabilitation, and it gave me an opportunity to hit the reset button and start all over again. And and so I tried to put that in the back of my mind, you know, but um, knowing that there's a deceased in this instance, he's always before me because I live my life partially in honor of him. You know, I've, I've taken a vow that I will live to the best of my ability, that I will live a violent free life. So he's always before me, but I try, you know, not to just dwell on this day because it's not, it's not who I am. It's what I did. Yes, this was that. This was that day uh, when you did take a man's life. When you were out during that uprising, there is a moment that you also say stands out to you, and I also want to understand why this moment stands out to you. And it's you say when a forensic psychologist asked you if you think life without the possibility of parole is fair. So why does that? stand out to you too, Travial? Um, I think it was just a reminder of the magnitude of uh, what I had done. Because here it is that even though I'm incarcerated, I have the opportunity, I'm working towards earning a second chance to re-enter into society. And so the deceased he does, he's not afforded that same opportunity to re-enter into society. So he had he has life without the possibility of parole in the grave. So 
who am I? In other words, what I was saying was, I'm unworthy to say what's fair and what's not fair. I'm throwing myself on the mercy of everyone that's involved in making a decision upon what uh, should happen with my future, whether you decide to give me parole or whether you decide to deny me parole, I'm a, I would have been okay with that because he doesn't get a second chance. And so I felt that whether I'm free <clears throat> or whether I was in prison, that nothing was gonna change in my life. I still was gonna work to be the best individual that I can possibly become. And I would help anybody that I can help and I would live a violent free life, you know? So of course I wanted to, to be found suitable for parole. Of course, I wanted to have another chance to rejoin my family. But at the same time, I'm humbled at the fact that he doesn't have a second chance. And it's all because of me. It is kind of incredible that that opportunity to be interviewed by a parole agent was the result of, I think what you describe as kind of a chance encounter uh, with the late Nancy McFadden, a former advisor to President Bill Clinton. Can you talk yes. about that moment? Yeah. It's, you know, my mom always used to tell me that it was somebody that was going to come to the prison that I would have to talk to. And she said, you make sure you talk to everybody that come in there. And on this particular night, um, Common, the actor rapper, he was uh, having a concert at Lancaster State Prison because he was coming to the prisons to learn about mass incarceration and how can we end mass incarceration. And so um, this was some months go by, he'd come back to have a concert, but only anybody familiar with the city of Lancaster, um, you know, at night, the wind can be calm and then it can pick up in a, in a blink of an eye. So as they were setting up his equipment for the concert, a windstorm kicked up. So they had to cancel the concert. So here it was, you have all of these cameras and everybody is doing documentaries and filming this and filming that. You know, they decided because we had a lot of politicians there, um, high-ranking officials within the Department of Corrections were there. They decided, let's go inside and have a round table and, and talk about rehabilitation. So we went inside, and, you know, and we had a round table. And, after and I want to hear more about that roundtable discussion right after this break, Travial Pope. And just remind listeners that we're talking with Travial Pope, who was released from Lancaster State Prison in 2018. More with him after the break. Stay with us. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. 
You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim, and we're talking with Travial Pope about his release from Lancaster State Prison in 2018. And Travial, you were talking about what made that happen was in part this event that Common was supposed to do is not happening. So you get called into a roundtable of politicians. Talk about what happened next. Um, so as we sat out in the day room, I wish I, I wish I knew the picture. I wish I could have showed you the picture. And this I have a picture of us in a circle in the day room, and you see mics and cameras, everything. And we're just around talking, and we're talking about rehabilitation because at that time I was housed on a facility, which was called the Honor Yard, and then it was eventually switched to the uh, to the PPF, the Progressive Programming Facility. And what that was was a bunch of men that decided that even though we're incarcerated, we wanted to become the best that we can possibly be. We wanted to to live by CDC rules. You know, we wanted to to not have a violent environment. We didn't want the normal prison uh, yard per se. And so we all came together, and we and it was black, white, brown. We were all on one accord, and you know, we worked hard towards rehabilitation. And um, on this particular night, uh, uh, Lieutenant Hughes, who at that time was one of the presidents of the uh, officers union, you know, and he testified to the rehabilitation on the yard. He said that if the house next door was vacant uh, to his house next door to his home was vacant, that he would want one of us off this yard to live in that house next door because he know that we are working towards rehabilitation and we are better men than we were last week. And so, you know, as we begin to talk and we become, try to strategize and, and do all of these things, you know, after it was over, um, I was talking to a couple individuals and they were like, well, you need to talk to my boss. And then they boss said, you need to talk to my boss. And before I know it, I was in front of Nancy McFadden and, we began to talk and she began to ask me about my rehabilitative efforts, you know, what I had done in prison and, you know, and everything like that. And I began to explain to her, you know, I began to list off some of my accomplishments as far as earning a master's degree in biblical studies while um, certification biblical counselor. Um, I was a dog trainer in a pause for life uh, dog program there. Um, you know, it was just, and, and I can go on, but I don't want to, you know, my head is already naturally big. I don't want to, you know, make it seem like I'm big headed or anything like that, <laughs> you know, but um, she asked me, have, have you ever filed for a census commutation? Now this is 2017. And I was like, yes, ma'am, I filed in 2009. And she pulled out a note, uh, a notebook out of her pocket and she asked me my name and I told her my name gave her my CDC number, and she told me that um, I'm going to tell the governor about you. And true to her word, she went back and she told the governor about me. And uh, maybe a couple months after that, I was interviewed by uh, another uh, counselor, a parole agent. He came to visit me, and, he, and we sat in the office, and he drilled me. It seemed like, you know, it was a discussion, but he was drilling me. He wanted to make sure that who I, I was, who I said I was, and that my C file, my central file, you know, lined up with who, you know, I lined up with who my central file said I was. And after maybe about three hours, um, that was the end of that. And I didn't hear anything. So, you know, you kind of like want to put it to the back of your mind. 
but you can't because this is life altering. So, you know, I had many sleepless nights, I should say, after that. And then August 17th, August 18th, um, 2017, Governor um, Brown, at that time, he commuted my sentence mm. to 25 years of life, making me eligible to go to the parole board immediately. Wow. Travio Pope, a minister at God's place of worship. Trevo, your story is part of a bigger project called Facing Life, and I want to introduce the two people who are involved in that project now. It's columnist Pendarvis, or Penn Harshaw, of KQED Arts. Hi, Penn. Hey, how's it going? Penn also hosts KQED's Right Now-ish podcast. Also, Brandon Tausick, a documentary photographer and filmmaker. Thanks so much for being here, Brandon, as well. Thanks for having us. So let me ask you, Penn, what made you want to do this project of talking with people who basically were incarcerated in California's prisons and then facing challenges, big and small, also triumphs, big and small, after reentering the world outside of prison walls? What made you want to do it? And why did now feel like the right time? Yeah, uh, great question. We're at ground zero. Um, California incarcerates most people next to Texas. Um, they are kind of neck and neck. And being in California, reporting on arts and culture, uh, the prison system is intertwined with so many aspects of culture. Like in doing this project, I saw evidence of like how technology influenced it. And then there's uh, conversations about housing, about psychology, child psychology at that. And so there's so many different elements buried in this project. And um, right now, specifically now, uh, California for the past decade plus has been um, positioning itself as the leader in trying to change issues that brought about mass incarceration, largely due to the fact that it has to, you know, after 2006, the state was mandated to decrease its prison population. And so we took to looking at the people who were coming out and asking them, asking the question, who's there to assist them? And we started that in 2018. And then the pandemic happened and even more people were released. And we said, okay, this is, this is definitely something we need to chart. And Treviel's story is one of eight people who we highlighted, but there are thousands of people who speak to what's going on right now. Yeah, and those stories that you have are, are reflective. Brandon, you really wanted to add sort of the, the visual, the video, the audio elements to this project. Why was that so important to you? Yeah, I mean, to complement kind of Pendarvis's stories, uh, we also wanted to make kind of like a very visually immersive uh, experience and have it all, you know, live for free online forever instead of kind of creating a, a feature film that can be a little harder to view or kind of like a white cube kind of gallery show. So we wanted to create this kind of digital immersion experience with um, cinemagraphs, kind of photos with movement, very short video clips, very short 360 VR clips in order to paint kind of like a Basically, you know, with between what, what I made and what Pandarvis made, we gave each of these eight people kind of like a Vanity Fair cover story on their life. And so that was the goal, really, just to kind of dive deep into uh, each person, but also make it digestible and scrollable. And why specifically people who have or were given life sentences, Penn? Yeah, uh, first of all, clarification, I misspoke. Uh, the state was mandated in 2011. 2006 was the high watermark in terms of- uh, Yes, yes. Prison overcrowding you're talking about? Yeah. Exactly. Um, yes, yeah, specifically lifers. Looking at this population, this is a group of people who uh, have a very low recidivism rate. And so we talk about how this impacts the greater public, 
These are people who've been incarcerated for decades. Technology has changed, society has changed, and they're getting out into the world and we want to see them integrate so that we can have a healthier society. And so again, the question is, who's there to assist them? And so through Treviel, like not just through him, but also through his wife, Hope, like her sharing her story with us as well. And so each of these eight individuals who we talked to, we not only got to know them, we got to know their family members, the organizations that have assisted them, um, their, their places of religion that have assisted them. And it was just really important to get an understanding of that so we could see how it impacts larger society. Yeah. And you, you do hear in these conversations that you've had with the people profiled some some patterns in terms of their experiences. One of the things, of course, is just sort of the immediate shock of the modern world and encountering um, sort of everyday uh, situations, but but finding them either challenging or surprising. And, and I want to play a few of those voices now and a few of those experiences. Um, life lesson that I learned being out here is very patient. Without patience, you could easily fall back to the old way. Things don't go according to, you know, my plan, anything like that. I kind of, okay, I just got to wait patiently. When I first got out, I went to a restaurant filled with people. I feel like awkward. I feel like, you know, this is uncomfortable to me because like, this is unlike prison. Prisons, like, you know, people respect your space. But coming out here, I feel like, man, this is like, <laughs> Very difficult. When I was in transition house, it was, uh, it, was, it was all lifers there. So, and a lot of them been there for a while and they kind of helped me out because a lot of stuff I didn't know, they'd been out for a while, like for like using the phone, using the restroom, cause when I went to the restroom and I took a lead, then I was looking for the thing to flush the toilet and I, I didn't see one. So I'm like, man, ain't got no thing. So when I backed up, it actually flushed by itself and it tripped me out, you know what I mean? Then I went to the sink. And the same thing, I'm like, looking for the knobs, there's none. And the guy said, let's put your hand up in there. So I put my hand up and it just came up by myself. I'm like, wow, this is, this is crazy right here. The taste of a pumpkin spice latte, I remember seeing it in a magazine going, I want to try a pumpkin spice latte. I really want to put that on my list of want to do's. And actually going to Starbucks and seeing the busyness of Starbucks now, but having that pumpkin spice latte in my hand and just the first sip of it, and I remember I just closed my eyes for a second and I'm like, wow, something that tastes, just brought my taste buds to life. Um, it's not instant Folgers or Taster's Choice coffee. <laughs> Those are the voices of Gary Vong, Melvin Smith, and Lynn Acosta. And Brandon Tasik, is there any one of those uh, stories that you just want to highlight, any one of those people whose voices we heard? Um, yeah, potentially Gary, uh, the first one. Uh, he uh, is, is kind of serving a life sentence in a different way. So he uh, is, is currently undocumented um, and is unable to get a green card due to his record. So Pen can go into this a little bit more in detail, but he's kind of stuck in this limbo state where once he was released from state prison, uh, ICE picked him up and arrested him and brought him to ICE prison. So now that he's out, he's kind of not able to work, but can't, you know, he's he's in this strange limbo. Pen, do you want to pick up there? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I mean, Gary talked about patience and um, seeing his progress has been quite amazing since being released. He's been married and has a child and his life has progressed. But yeah, 
other other aspects of his life are just put on hold. Like uh, Brandon said, he's in limbo in terms of citizenship, um, and that obviously impacts his work situation. But what I can say about Gary and that patience is that it's definitely tied into his religious beliefs, and that's something that he spoke to us about developing while in prison, specifically in um, in, in in the shoe. And um, sorry. Uh, that is called the shoe. Solitary housing. Solitary, yes, solitary confinement. Um, and so Gary, yeah, exemplified that. And actually it was Treviel echoed that sentiment about um, patience. Uh, Treviel was talking about like standing in line and in prison, you stand in line a lot. And so getting out and standing in line and being patient is something that, um, yeah, it's part of the course. Um, but, but yeah, all of them and technology, a huge part and just adaptation it's things that we don't think about we take it for granted you know like we, we're used to silent cars and people talking in the bluetooths and things of that nature and <laughs> we're talking with pendarvis harshaw columnist for kqed arts and brandon tazik a documentary photographer and filmmaker uh pendarvis is the writer behind facing life brandon is the photographer behind facing life and also Traviel pope is with us who's featured in the series Facing Life, Traviel is a minister at God's Place of Worship. I want to invite you, our listeners, to join the conversation. Have you or a family member been sentenced to life in prison? Have you or someone you know had to acclimate to the outside world after spending time behind bars? 866-733-6786 is the number to join the conversation. 866-733-6786. Get in touch on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Email us, forum at kqed.org. You said resources, Penn, and that really varies, right? Depending on where you're released. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's the overall, you get released with the $200 uh, card from the state. And, you know, obviously that doesn't go that far to start off, but also you get transportation deducted if you need to take a bus ticket to somewhere. Um, and yeah, resources in terms of family, friends, community, uh, parole officers um, in terms of churches, um, all of these things play a part. And what we wanted to do with this project is highlight, again, who's there to assist, but then also our, our target audience is the stakeholders, the individuals making these decisions about changes to legislation and saying, hey, this is the end result. These are examples of the individuals that you're placing in society. And again, we're asking you who's there to assist and ensure that they land on their feet so that we can have a healthier society. Um, yeah. Yeah. I want to play another cut from your series, and this is describing some of the types of resources that would be helpful. I think um, on a state level, when it comes to before you're released, um, some of the who, what, where, when, why is like, how, you get, how do you get a social security card? How do you get an ID? How do you obtain a birth certificate if you haven't have one? How do you reestablish credit? those type of basic things. How do you reestablish a bank account? Because if you've been in for 10 or more years, I found you're, you're like a ghost in the machine. So you're basically starting from scratch over. So how do you do that? How do you navigate that? If you didn't have friends or family that had gone out before you to pave that way, you're really going out with blindly. And it's, it's challenging how to do, since the computers and technologies, it seems to be ever evolving, that's been a roadblock too. I want to buy me a house, but I'm going to get me another job and save more money so I can function out here by myself. Like I said, there's no place 
that I can't get an apartment. I can't even rent a room at the prices that rent is in the city. But then nobody's trying to help me. Nobody's trying to help me find a place to stay. The uh, Section 8 waiting list is ridiculous. It's anywhere from five to 10 years. Low income housing is booked to the nine. You know, there's no place to go after the SLE. I'm not a veteran. You know, I'm a straight up single woman. And I'll probably be predominantly homeless if I don't find something between now and when that six months is up. Those were the voices of Lynn Acosta and Myra Burns. Travio Pope, what was the single most helpful thing for you in terms of reintegrating? I think um, one of the, besides my wife, <clears throat> excuse me, besides my wife and my younger brother, I think the, the people that helped me the most was lifers, um, people that pre- was previously incarcerated with life sentences because they knew the struggle. You know, so they kind of um, coached me through. But, you know, the biggest resources um, for me was my my younger brother and my wife. Those are the people that, that helped me tremendously. You know, they were the ones that, you know, helped me to cope, you know, with and develop mechanisms to coping skills to be able to deal with the with society because everything I hear is so fast paced, you know, when you, according to prison, because, you know, when you look at prison, um, just say if I was going to a class and the class started at three o'clock, I can leave my cell at 2.55 and I can make it on time. Versus here, being out here in society, it takes me 20 minutes just to go five miles because of the traffic. So, you know, people would, my wife and my mom and other lifers, they, I mean, excuse me, my wife and my brother and other lifers, they really have helped me navigate, you know, through this maze of reintegration. We're talking with Trivial Pope, who's featured in a new project called Facing Life by Pendarvis Harshaw and Brandon Tauzik. You, our listeners, can join our conversation, 866-733-6786. And I'll get to your calls right after the break, 866-733-6786. Post them on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Email us, forum, at kqed.org. More after the break. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking about the new project, Facing Life, which tells the stories of people who once faced life sentences in California's prisons and are now adjusting to life outside. And here's Fahim Reese on how former lifers help each other out. Former lifers develop a good networking rapport out here in a society just based on uh, the mutual love and respect we have for one another. Uh, once one knows what someone else, what someone else is going on, it's easy to connect through the Facebook, through the Instagram. They see what, what we're doing. And then, hey, I want to be a part of it. What you doing? Hey, I need you out here. Can you come to Richmond? Can you come to Oakland? Can you come to Vallejo? Yes, Stockton. Well, maybe I can't come to Stockton, but this is going on out there. Let me call my parole officer. And then we'll make a way. And so just by the bonds and the friendship that we maintain in a society, it's easier to bring lifers together because those are good, solid, and respectable friendships. So we don't look at each other as lifers anymore. We look at each other as human beings, friends, and mutual respect. That is a sentiment that was echoed by my guest, Traviel Pope, just before the break. Traviel is Minister of God's Place of Worship, featured in the series Facing Life. Pandarvis Harshaw is the writer of Facing Life, also a columnist at KQED Arts and host of KQED's Right Nowish podcast. And Brandon Tausick is a documentary photographer and filmmaker and does photography and filmmaking for Facing Life. The Pulitzer Center will also host a webinar event with Penn and Brandon on May 11th called Behind Facing Life, if you want to check that out. But right now I want to check out these calls, Marisol in Queens. Hi, Marisol. Thanks so much for joining us. Hey, Mina. It's Marisol from KQD. Oh, Marisol, uh, how are you? Hey, <laughs> I've been better. Uh, I'm here in Queens on my vacation, actually, but tuning in to support Penn. Um, I don't have experience with someone in my life being a lifer. Um, <laughs> but I do... I did lose a cousin um, to incarceration, and he was lucky that he did get out, and he had potential to change his life, but because of structures that be, it wasn't possible, and my family lost touch with him. So the last time I saw him, I was like seven or six or maybe five. And my family's tried looking for him on the streets of San Francisco for decades now. And I've tried Googling him in white pages because now I have resources as a journalist. And I still haven't found him. And... A couple years ago, I was hired to produce a project on homelessness in Oakland. And part of my job was going to encampments to meet people. And in the back of my head, I always thought there was a possibility that I could run into him. 
because the last we knew, he lived in Berkeley on San Pablo. And I don't know where he's at and if he's listening. You know, I just want you to know that your family loves you and we care about you. And we just want you to be safe. Oh, Marisol, I just want to thank you for coming on and sharing that story. I'm so sorry for what you are going through. And it just really means a lot to me that you wanted to share that on our program today. Penn, it is just making me think so much about this moment in your essay where you talked about how there are the everyday challenges, there are um, the bigger sort of structural issues that people are facing that can be so challenging. And then you talk about the more nuanced issues, the, the issues of trauma or issues of just struggling um, after, after you are released in a world, I think the way you described it, where people can be made to feel like even if there are people out there who care for them, made to feel like the world doesn't. Um, yeah. anyway, I just wanted to to just uh, appreciate that after hearing also, you know, what Marisol, Marisol is, is going through. Thank you. Thank you, Marisol, for calling in. And that that is, um, Marisol's a friend and also the producer of the Right Now Show and an awesome journalist and has a huge heart. And thank you for speaking up and shedding light on something that is a huge aspect of this project is health. And you have people who've spent so much time behind bars and that takes wear and tear on them, both physically and psychologically. And so you're seeing a, a number of people apply for jobs, blue collar jobs that end up breaking them. And then you also have the aspect of people's mental health um, and being unchecked and, um, and so in doing this project, Brandon and I were very mindful of um, doing our best to find individuals who represent a common experience, you know, not the, the superstar prison, the former prisoners, but individuals who are just people living the life who have ups and downs and can um, show what it's like. And through that, we've had uh, one of our uh, participants, Jose Espinoza, uh, rest in peace, he passed during the project and uh, he suffered from a number of ailments, but also uh, caught COVID and, and passed. And um, there's just a number of individuals we came across paths with who uh, had similar tales of kind of falling off. You know, we started interviewing a couple people who we lost contact with. In fact, right now we're having trouble finding Robin Marlowe, who we highlighted. And this is a part, this is a one of the aspects of this project that is more behind the scenes. You know, you don't add this to it, but it's, it's hard to stay in contact with people who feel like society doesn't care about them and they fall between the cracks. And so, yeah, again, Marisol, thank you again for that phone call. And it, it's a very personal thing. I mean, candidly speaking, even my father, I'm incarcerated in Alabama throughout my life, in and out. And so I would always wonder where he is. And very similarly, like, I see a black man with a beard. I'm like, is that my dad? You know, like anybody from Carl Malone to anybody just walking the street. I'm like, is that kind of a thing? Um, and so I, I totally feel that. Um, and it's even more important to highlight these stories and tell these people they matter because people fall through the cracks of society. 
So yes, thank you again, Marisol. Well, Ben, thanks for sharing that story and for bringing that experience to the work that you do. Um, you mentioned Jose Espinoza, and we do have a little tape of him talking about touching on that that struggle that we just talked about. This Christmas, I couldn't buy my daughter nothing because I wasn't working, you know, so I was kind of down on myself in the beginning, you know, but things that look up, you know, I just got to stay focused, stay motivated, you know, and think positive. You know, I can't be down on myself because that's just, that's not, gonna, that's not healthy for me, you know, and, and I don't want it to lead to other things, you know. I don't want to go back to my old ways, you know, of uh, selling drugs and stuff. I don't want to live that lifestyle no more. So I got to stay focused and positive. That was Jose Espinoza, the late Jose Espinoza. Trivial Pope, what can just on a human level people do to, I mean, I, I was hearing you talking about how the best support you get are from lifers, which makes so much sense in terms of the experience. For those who haven't had that experience, what is it that can be done to try um, to help people not feel like the world doesn't care about them? I think the, <clears throat> excuse me, I think the number one thing is, is patience. Because as Penn and people were hitting upon, mental health is real coming out of prison because um, even with myself, you know, I became institutionalized and you know, while incarcerated and institutionalized, you know, institutionalism basically comes from, you know, like the movie Groundhog Day, you do the same thing over and over and over and over and over again every day that it becomes a habit and you're not even accustomed, don't even know that you're doing it per se. <clears throat> um, I know that I can't walk through a door with, or a gate without the officer unlocking it. And so when I came home, <clears throat> It was times where I found myself standing at a door or standing at a gate waiting for someone to unlock it. Um, it's times where I find myself right now today that I don't sleep. Uh, I haven't slept a whole night since I've been home, you know, slept through the night since I've been home. When I go out to restaurants, I can't sit with my, I have to sit with, with, with facing the door. I can't sit with my back to the door I can't sit, you know, with my back to a crowd. Um, a lot of people come home and it's like um, not post-traumatic stress syndrome, but it's called post-incarceration syndrome, where we come home because of we've been in, in, in a confined quarters. And now you put me in a, I go from being in a fish tank to being in the ocean. And there's a lot more creatures in the ocean that I'm, and a lot of more things in the ocean that I'm unfamiliar with, and it becomes overwhelming, and a lot of people give up. But I think that the number one thing that people can help us with is being patient with us, because we might have to ask the same question one, two, you know, three, four, maybe even five times before we get it, because this is all new to us. So, and a lot of times when people lose patience, with us and that that help or that support system is no longer there or starts to dry up and now it's like I'm left to my own devices 
And instead of learning something new, I'll put myself back into that box and I'll go back to what I know because everything that I'm familiar with is within that box. And so for me to be successful, I need the patience of fellow man, you know, of my fellow man. I need the patience. I need you to be patient with me. You know, sometimes I need you to help me as if I was a two or three year old child, because in some instances, that's what I am. And, you know, is a kid. Because mm -hmm. as for myself, like one of the pieces they made mention about um, classes or teaching me how to reestablish credit, teaching me how to do all of these things. It's so true because when we come home, we've been in the fish, fish, fish tank all of our lives, adult lives, that we have no, 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 no skill, no, no life skills. And so as I come home and I'm, and I'm re-engaged into society and I'm learning life skills, I need people to be patient with me. And so I think that's very much the key is patience is what unlocks the door. Patience is what unlocks success. We're talking with Travial Pope, featured in the series Facing Life and Facing Life's creators, Penn Harshaw and Brandon Tausick. And you're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Well, Sue asks, what help is there for the formerly incarcerated in paying high California rents and in getting employed? I'm thinking of the woman who said after six months, she'd probably be homeless. Pendarvis? Yeah, fortunate. Myra, um, she shared that um, she, through her church, uh, she found an in individual to sublet their property. Um, Gary uh, found a partner who he knew through incarceration to initially house him once he spent the six months in. Um, there's a lot of instances of people living with family or living with um, romantic partners thereafter. Um, but yeah, like just go figure if this state that has a surplus budget could set aside some funds for housing of individuals who are coming out of long stints of prison, just because we know that this housing market is horrible, that might do some wonders. Hmm. Well, let me go to call a Rafael in Ventura. Hi, Rafael. Thanks for waiting. Thank you very much for the time, Ms. Kim. I appreciate it, and thank you for the uh, uh, this uh, group of people who advocate for the uh, prisoners in the state of California. My name is Rafael Hernandez again, and uh, and I have a case with my son. My son uh, is, is is in custody still since uh, February 20, 2009. Uh, my son was accused of a, 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 a high crime, which is kidnapping, and back in 2009. And uh, the victim or the accuser say that the man who kidnapped her was a 45 to 50 year old man. My son at the time was barely 23 years old. And uh, when they asked the accuser uh, what kind of car the person was driving, she said that there was a Ford Mustang. My son was owning a, a Lexus four door. And, and the accuser said on all the trial days, every single day she was asked, about the uh, description of the suspect and description of the car. She always said the man was 45 to 50 years old, and she pointed out to my son's attorney, my son's uh, uh, counsel, uh, who was a, a, a public defender at the time. And, uh, and he said, no, it's not me. It's this guy sitting right here. Mm. And when she was asked about the car, she said it's a full Mustang. And then they said, if we tell you there was not a Ford Mustang, there was a Ford a, a Lexus, 
four doors. She said, no, because I know brands, I know the models, I know BMWs, Mercedes, Ford, Chrysler, everything. It was not a Lexus. It was a Ford Mustang. So my son was was uh, uh, sentenced anyway. You know, he, he was declared, you know, guilty at the end of the trial, even though I, I, I told uh, his lawyer, you know, use me as, his, as, as, as a witness and use my my. Uh, my co-workers, my employees as a witness, my, my son was working at the time at the Shell station with me, and we don't have no Ford Mustang, and he doesn't have a car. He, oh. ca- he, ca- he crashed his car. Rafael, gosh, that is just a heartbreaking story. Are there resources for Rafael to be able to, it sounds like, try to clear his son's name? Do you have any advice, Penn? Or Brandon? That That is a heavy story. Um yeah, I, I know we're short on time right now. Uh, I, I think if Rafael, if you could leave a contact, um, we could follow up with some some of the organizations that we've worked with um, throughout the state. Uh, Trevio, do any immediate organizations come to mind? The Innocent Project. The Innocent Project in, um, in, in I think they're in San Diego. Uh, when they'll, they'll take a look at the case and if they feel that, they only take it if they feel like that they can prove innocence. If they don't think they can prove innocence, but they won't take it. And they primarily work with DNA. So the Innocent Project is one area, one place that you can contact. In the way that I've grown to know these organizations is if they can't help you, they know of other organizations that do. And it's a, it's a tight-knit network. Travio, what do you hope comes out of this project facing life? I think educate, you know, I I pray that the public is educated to um, the plight of the paroled prisoner Um, and that through this project that society as a whole would be more welcoming and um, be more helpful in helping um, this small population in transitioning back into society. Because if 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 society will become more welcoming, you know, and more helpful, then the transition will be a lot more easier. And recidivism all across the board, recidivism rate will go down. So I pray that the public is educated and that their minds are open and that they would think look at it a separate another way. Well, Trevio Pope, Pandarvis Harshaw, Brandon Tausig, thank you all for coming on. And also my thanks to Marisol and Raphael for sharing their stories as well, and to Caroline Smith for producing today's segment. I'm Mina Kim. You've been listening to Forum. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising-Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com.
We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.